Okay, let's turn to John chapter 6. Now what we're going to do this evening is look at these verses in John chapter 6. And you'll have to bear with me because I want to look, read the verse slowly and allow the Lord to uh, bring some things out from these verses. But before we go into chapter 6, we're going to look at a few verses in chapter 5. I should give you, I guess, your homework assignment. Jim told me to tell you to read chapters 3 and 4 in two translations this week. Now, in chapter four, uh, 5, I mean, many times what precedes a chapter becomes important and becomes a springboard for understanding what is going on or at least some of what's you know transpiring in a chapter. Now in chapter 5 in verse 2 you have uh, the pool of Bethesda. Now have you gotten to chapter 4 or 5 yet in the class? No. No. Okay. And and this is the the impotent man that is laid there uh, every day, probably brought there by relatives or neighbor or friends, brought him there in the morning and, and left him there all day long and then came back and picked him up or you know, carried him back to his home. And so here you have this man who's physically in a bad way and has been that way, I believe, 30-some years, 38 years, 36 years, something like that. And I don't know how long this has been happening where they're taking him down there, but this one day he's there, and Jesus comes by and asks him a few questions, trying to get a, a certain response from him. And the man says, well, how can I get into the water after the water is moved and troubled so that I am healed? So Jesus says to him to take up thy bed and go, carry your bed. In verse, verse 8, rise up, rise, take up, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man took up his bed and walked. On the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. So here you have the religious leaders and the majority of the Jews, the religious leaders, had a certain type of heart condition. And this heart condition made them more concerned about their beliefs, their religion, than the individual. So they're more interested in what they have as far as Judaism, and they're more concerned about the rules and the traditions that they follow than they are about this man who has been sick for 30-some years. So the religious man never has the concern for others that the spiritual man would have. The religious man is concerned about himself. He's concerned about keeping what he thinks is to be kept and not concerned about other people. And so you have this thinking then, and you actually have the same thinking today. You get someone uh, from certain religious backgrounds, and they're interested, and their focus is their uh, church, their religion, etc. And they're not too concerned about someone else that doesn't agree and line up with what their religion and what, you know, believes or what they believe. 
And so this is where uh, things are here. Now, verse 17. Now, that, let's go stop at verse 16 here. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. That is the main focus for the Jews was to keep this tradition intact, to keep their Sabbath the way they thought it should be. And so their attack out from them toward Jesus is because of what he did on the Sabbath. Not because he healed the person, but because he healed the person on the Sabbath. And so the religious man, his thinking and his mind is far away from God. And so in verse 16 here, it clearly says that they sought to kill him because he did these things on the Sabbath day. Now, Jesus had a choice. Jesus could have healed the man another day on a Friday or a Sunday. But the father wanted to express himself through Jesus in order to get to the root of what is driving the Jews. And you see him do this continually in the Gospels. He gets right down there, and he is actually against that particular setup. Not just the traditional thing, but that setup in their hearts. Because remember, God deals with the hearts. Always, always, always. You see that from the very beginning with Adam. You see that throughout the, the entire Old Testament. You see that in the New Testament. And, and in particular, in our lives, he deals with heart issues. So if you're looking for God here and there, don't. Look to him and be ready for him to look into your heart and deal with you on heart issues. So Jesus responds to the Jews here in verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto and I work. Now, if we as Christians could get a hold of that scripture, or better yet, <laughs> if the truth there in that verse could get a hold of us, it would revolutionize our life. If we would have a revelation of verse 17, we would be able to move much differently than we have moved in the past. Well, my father is doing such and such, and that's what I'm doing. See, because that limits now the expression of self. See, self-expression is, I will do this, I will go there, I will do things this way, I think this is the way I should do it, I think this is where I should go, all of that is eliminated through the revelation that my Father worketh, or I see the Father moving in this way, and henceforth I will move the same way. I'm going to go the same way. I'm going to move the way he's moving. What a revelation. You know, talk about moving to a, another level in God. See, it pushes all self right out of the way. It just, just moves it. It's, it's, it's over here now. It's not in the picture because the Father's in the picture. Verse 19. So Jesus now, he begins to, to 
answer these Jews that are coming against him. And he's saying things to them in order to reveal their hearts and to try to to break through that crust called the carnal nature. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Wow. Let me think about that a second here. Did you just read what I read? See, we think that Jesus can do anything. But he says he can do nothing. (laughs) I can't do anything. Jesus, come right now and... Jesus, I can't do anything. He says, I can do nothing but what he, the Father, is saying to do. So he's reinforcing this. And he's saying that, that I am the expression of the Father to the degree that I'm not the one that's doing it. Oh, I'm being the expression, but I'm not the one that's doing it. It's the Father that's doing it. Wow. Wow that we would be and become the expression of the Father through Christ. Pretty powerful thing. For what things soever he does, these also doeth the Son likewise, or the same way. Talk about, you know, raising your sights high for us to to emulate that. Let's uh, move over to verse 30. I can of my own self do nothing, As I hear, I judge, but I'm not going to judge unless I hear, because I seek not mine own will. Now, read that, hear that, and allow the Spirit of God to drive that part of the verse deep into your heart. That I will not seek mine own will. Now, hearing that, And reading that, that's one thing. But to have that pushed out from the Father to Jesus, from Jesus, that expression being pushed out to your heart, then your heart receiving that and allowing the Lord to do that, well, you know, that's that's quite a work. But see, it's possible. What are you here for tonight? I hope you're, you're not here just to hear some message. I hope you're not here to see some man, but I hope you've come tonight that the Spirit of God can push something out to you to receive so that you can take that in. And now you may have been uh, moving in your own self-will in a certain area, but now the Spirit of God is going to touch you and you are not going to do your will any longer. See, it's not about... Church, it's not about coming and hearing a message. It's about the Spirit of God moving out through Christ to touch and change you. See, that's where, that's where it's at. I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. Oh, you want to be Christ-like? Well, that's something to be Christ-like in. And don't let your carnal nature fool you into doing what you want and then attaching, that's the will of the Lord. I think that's the will of the Lord for me. Don't attach that to it. Rather, find out what the will of God is. And once you find out, then you seek doing His will, not your own will. That's the way it's to work. Christians make these excuses all the time. You know, the carnal nature is so slick. 
so deceptive. You know, there's a deception in the world. There is the spirit of Antichrist, the deception of the world, who is a messenger of Satan. Then you have, you know, Satan, satanic forces. That's a deception. And then there is the deception that is above all deceptions, and that is the deception of your nature, the nature that we were all born with, the carnal nature. And so the carnal nature is so deceiving and so slick that we will get a thought we want to do something or we want to go somewhere, whatever it may be, and we will be, we talk ourselves into it, so to speak. And we will move and do that, and then we'll, we'll say, well, I believe it's the will of God. And I've seen this happen many, 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 many times. And people, you know, think it's the will of God. There's wisdom in, in the multitude of counselors, it says in Proverbs, and it's not there for no reason. So in verse 31 says, if I bear, oh, well, let's skip that and let's go down to, um, okay, let's, verse 39. Now, Jesus here is still talking to these religious people. And these religious people, they think that they have life. They think that they know what's going on. See, they have the commandments. They have the law. So Jesus says to them in verse 39, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. Remember, religion is another form of deception, or can be. And in this example with the Jews, it was. They allowed that which God had for them, the law, rather than having a heart that comes out out from the law and and fulfills the law, like Abraham, they stayed under the law, and, and they made that a tradition. And because of that, they were deceived in their religious activities or religious duties. That they were they were in deception. And so Jesus says, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. See, they aren't testifying of Moses, they're not testifying of the law. All of those things testify to Jesus. They all point to the Messiah. But see, they were, they were so caught up in their religion that they couldn't see it. There's a scripture. Let's, let's turn here. It's in uh, 1 John. Hold your place in uh, John 5 here. We're going to get to John 6, I, I think, soon. <laughs> in 1 John chapter 5. Now, who can tell me the book of 1 John? Was, was it written to the world or was it written to the church? To the church. So we need to take heed and read the Bible. John says some very strange things in this book. Things that if we're, if, if someone would get up from the pulpit and say them, Christians today would not understand and they would think you're a little off. I think that church is a little, you know, they're out there. I, I'll tell you. There are people that think this church is out there. Well, that's okay. I want to be out there with him. (laughs) With him. I don't want to be just out there. I want to be out there with him. So they can say what they want. But anyway, chapter 5, verse 
13. Now keep in mind, he's speaking to Christians, those who know him, those who, who have accepted Christ and received him as their Lord. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. So he's writing to those who believe, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Well, <laughs> it almost sounds like double talk, but see, it isn't. He's saying, you that know him, you that believe on his name, that you may know that ye have eternal life. Now, in the Greek, that form is the subjunctive mood, and I, some of you have been here a while, you know I always say this. Subjunctive, subjunctive mood, mood verb. The verbs, most of them have a tense, a voice, and a mood. The subjunctive mood verb means that that is in the realm of possibility. So now John is saying to them, now you have believed on his name. Now it's in the realm of possibility that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay, let's continue on. Keep that thought. And that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And that's also the word uh, ye may believe. Those three English words, they're subjunctive mood verb. And that means that the possibility exists that they would believe on the name of the Son of God. And that means, when he says believe on the Son of, uh, name of the Son of God, is talking about the character of Christ, that which has not been attained by them, that they do not perceive and have not reached out to bring to themselves. See, that they haven't done that. So he says here that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, if I said, come up here, somebody, and tell me right on the board here what eternal life is. That's not so easy, is it? Okay, now let's look at the scripture, John 17. Now, this puts into perspective what John is saying in 5.13 there. Now, the, the setting here in John 17, Jesus is um, praying to the Father for his disciples then and on down through the ages for those that would come into the knowledge of Christ through every age, including us. So he prays this. This is another thing. John probably, when he writes that back in, in the epistle, that is taken from what Jesus, he hears Jesus say here, but John doesn't explain it in the epistle. See, you see this with John, you see this with Paul in particular, he doesn't go into detail when it comes to certain verses, he just, he comes out and he writes them, he says them, and then he leaves it at that, he doesn't tell you, you know, put off the old man, he doesn't tell you how to do that. Put on a new man. He doesn't tell you how to do that. He just makes these statements because the knowledge of that, to put off, put on, what we're looking at here, eternal life. See, that is, is brought to the person by the revelation of the Spirit of God to them. That's how they'll get it. They're not going to get it by someone ministering it and teaching it. I mean, that may help. But to get it, it's going to come to them by the Spirit of God, bringing that revelation and making that a part of them so that it sparks the understanding of that 
so that now they not only can see it and read it, but there's an inner knowing and an understanding that they didn't have before because they've been moved further on from where they were. They, they were in, so to speak, darkness in a certain area, but now because the revelation has come and they've responded to the Lord, he takes them and he moves them into another area where now that thing is open before them, they see it, and it becomes a part of them. So in John 17... Verse 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee. He's speaking about the Father. And that, again, is a subjunctive mood verb, uh, might know. So eternal life is more than we thought. See, we can come to Christ, but the terminology here in these two instances, of course, I I can't say that for everywhere in the the New Testament because I've never done a study you know, into that. But in these two instances, eternal life is not just accepting Christ. Eternal life is coming into a knowing that is beyond initial salvation. Now, when we come to Christ, we know him to some degree. But see, that's not what Jesus is even talking about. He's talking about another place, another level further on down. That's why he says in the epistle that you might know that you have eternal life. And that's why he says here that you might know, that he prays for the disciples, that they might know thee. He's talking to the Father, praying to the Father. See, that they might experience this knowing that is beyond. See, there's different knowings in the scriptures. And there is a knowing that transcends initial salvation. There is a place where you come to in God where you just know him in a much more intimate way than you did before. And so Jesus is praying this and hoping that they'll get it. And John got it because that's what he said in um, the epistle. That's why he writes that to them. He not only got it, he didn't get it up here. He got it in here. See, we can know scriptures. We can know you know, there, there are people who grow up in the church, you know, preacher's kids, and they know the stories, and they know different things, but a lot of that knowing is here. God wants to take the knowing here and make it alive in here, that the Word becomes flesh, or the Word becomes a reality. The Word becomes a part of you, not just to sit there, but then the Word can be expressed through you. You can be the Logos, you can be the expression of the Father. Like Jesus is telling the Jews here that I am not working, it's not me. I only do what I see the Father do and nothing more and nothing less. So here it is, eternal life. Being able to be the expression of the Lord. See, if you are the expression of the Lord, if the Lord builds that in you, and he's in the process of doing that, you know, then you will be able to move in a way where you will only do what the Father is doing. See, that is available to you as a Christian. That's not just some scripture to memorize. It's not just some scripture to hear on Sunday morning. It's not, Jesus didn't say that to say it. See, he said it hoping that John would get a hold of it, which he did, hoping the disciples would get, would get a hold of it, and, and they did, hoping that you and I would get a hold of it, and that it would transform our lives. 
Now go back to John 5. So he says in verse 39, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. Now, we're going to just read verse for verse chapter 6. That was just like leading up to chapter 6. But I want to read a few more verses from Mark 6. Because this, when we start to read in, in chapter 6, the setting is what we're going to see here uh, leading up to this feeding that we're going to look at here. The, the, the uh, feeding of the, um, was it 5,000? However many it is. Now in Mark 6, verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Now, what, you know what this is talking about here. When, remember when he sent the 70 out, and he tells them to go out and you know, go, like you said, two by two into the different towns and that. They come back, they gather themselves to Jesus, and they're you know, telling him different things. Verse 31, And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while, for there uh, were many com- there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so-, so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately, and the people saw them departing, and many knew him and r- ran afoot thither out of all cities, and out went them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw many people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep having, not having a shepherd, and began to teach them many things. Now, that there is the setting. And we're going to pick up here in John 6. The 70 have gone out. They come back. And now we're going to move into um, verse 1. Now, as I said before, you're going to have to bear with me here as I read this. I'm going to go slow. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee. Now, after these things mean some of the things that we talked about, the healing at at Bethesda, the 70 going out and then coming back, other um, healings or or miracles, whatever else transpired that is not written. So now when he says after these things, it's about all that we, the groundwork we laid so far in the class. Now, after that, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of uh, Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him. Now, it's nice. Isn't it nice for people to follow Jesus? Wouldn't you want to see a lot of people follow Jesus? Yeah, I would. Would you love to see droves and droves of people come into the church and follow Jesus? Do you know there are different reasons for following Jesus? Different people... Follow for different reasons, some for good reasons, and others not for not so good reasons. Some follow Jesus for what he can work in their lives and how he can change them. Some follow Jesus for what they can get. They follow him in a self-centered way all the time. And the Lord sometimes cannot get them out of that. He tries. Sometimes he's successful, and sometimes he's not. So a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. So that's a reason to follow Jesus. They saw the miracles. But what did they see? And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now now remember, verse 2, you have the multitudes. 
in the other verses we read in Mark, you also had the multitudes, people coming from different, city, different cities and different places. So you have this mixture. You have uh, the multitudes, you have his close disciples, and you probably have other disciples who went out, with, you know, the 70 that went out. So you have this large mixture of people there. So that, that's the setting. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. Now, when we get to verse 11, somebody remind me to go back to verse 4 if I, <laughs> I forget. Okay? Can you help me? Okay. Verse 5. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? So he's asking Philip. Now, Philip, look at all these people, the multitude. Where are we going to get food to feed all of them? Now, remember, the Lord will come to you and I, and he will ask questions. He will come to you maybe in the service. He may come to you in a Bible school class, and he will ask questions. Why does the Lord ask questions? See, because he's looking for a response, a certain response. Well, first of all, he's looking for a response because the response that he's going to get is going to tell him what the heart condition is there in you and I. So he's looking for a response. He's also looking for the proper response. So he's asking Philip here, and he's going to you know, be watching and listening to what Philip has to say. Well, Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? How are we going to do it? Verse 6. And this he said to prove him. For he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus will come and he will ask a question to prove you. He knows what he's going to do. But he's looking for something from you, he's looking from a, for a response, and the response that comes out, not necessarily from your lips, but the response that comes out from your heart and my heart will reveal to the Lord what is there, whether I am in belief, whether I'm in unbelief, whether um, I am in surrender to Him, or I'm not, whether I am going to go this way that he's looking for, or I'm not. You know, all that comes out and becomes manifest to the Lord through question. And you see in the Gospels, the Lord does this quite frequently. He will ask questions. Hey, how are we going to do this, guys? <laughs> so he knows, he knows what he's going to do, but he's looking for a response. Now, Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. Now, I looked this up, and it doesn't really have the impact on us because of our currency and the inflation and all that, and, and we're not in that setting, but it amounted to like $40. But some of you that are older, and if you were a kid, or when you were a kid, and somebody would have walked up and gave you $40, wow, $40. I mean, $40 today, I mean, it's... <laughs> What can you get for $40, one shoe, you know? $40 years ago, oh, $40, you could, got, you could feed your family for a month on $40. So he says here, 
even if we have this amount of money, it's not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. So that's his response. This is very, very, very interesting because, remember, the disciples just saw Jesus heal the man this, uh, at the pool of Bethesda that had been sick for 38 years, couldn't walk. And they saw other miracles before that. They saw all these different things. But yet, standing next to the one that had the, the answer to the deeds, Philip was still not believing that Jesus could feed these people. Now, well, why was that? See, it was because that Philip was relating to the natural. And any time we relate to the natural, just what we see, we will not believe that Jesus can do what Jesus can do because we're relating and seeing things in the natural only. I mean, it's okay to see the natural, I mean, but you need to see past that to who it is that is there. Now, I like this. Now, now so that's Philip. <clears throat> Jesus sees where he is. I don't know if Philip sees where he is. Maybe later on, Philip understands what Jesus just said to him. And he has this revelation now that he was in unbelief here and that Jesus now put all this together for him. Now, I like here verse 8 where it says, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him. So now Andrew's going to bring this out. Now, Andrew says, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? So here you have Philip back here. Now, Andrew takes this little step, you see. Now, he tells Jesus, well, there, there's a lad here that has, that has five barley loaves and two fish. Now, Andrew isn't moving in faith and saying, well, Lord, I know that you can take that and multiply that and feed all these people. He's not saying that. He's just kind of making a suggestion. He puts this out there, Jesus, well, here's this, but, you know, that's... Still, in the natural, it doesn't look like it's too much. I mean, what are they compared to all these people, the multitudes? Well, it's not too much. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Just stop there for a second. Where are the women and children? Anybody tell me? Do you think all these men were out there by themselves? Or do you think they had, some of them had their wives with them or kids? I think they had, some had their wives and kids. Yeah. Remember, men, in God's order, you are the one that's responsible. You have the weight, not that you are the one who is the big shot in the family and everything you say goes. You are the one that has the weight on your shoulders to guide your family. That weight and responsibility is on you. And they will become, to a great degree, what you emulate as a man and as a Christian. The, the man, he's kind of like in the background, if you know what I mean. I let my wife, like the kids gravitate toward my wife all the time because she feeds them, she does all this good stuff, you know, for them. And I mean, I understand it. So I support her and let her do her thing. And if they, they like her better than me, I mean, that's no big deal to me. I understand what's going on. But see, the man has the responsibility to set the tone in the home. And that's why Jesus here says, okay, you man, take the lead. He says, Make the men to sit down. Now, they take the lead. So now they sit down. And of course, when they sit down, now the women and children sit down too. And that's the order in the scriptures. 
Now, there was much grass in this place. Or another way to say this is that there was much grace given by the Lord. Now, in 1 John 1.14, who can quote the scripture for me? Come on, you people. You're in the Bible all the time and in church all the time. Anybody quote one? One, uh, John 1, 14? Any part of it? Just one part says, I'm not going to quote the whole thing, but it says that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That's not it? <laughs> no, no, John, I'm going to go back now. I've got to check myself when she shook her head no. She teaches every week. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, it's 16 or 17. Well, I was just going by memory, so, you know, I'm getting old, so my memory's not like it used to be. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now go back here where we were. Remember that that order in the scripture is grace and truth. Grace first, truth second. You give grace first. You give grace to people. You don't have to pawn them with the truth. When I first became a Christian, I was a lapel grabber, brother. <laughs> I was at work, and I said, you got to know Jesus. <laughs> Well, the Lord used that, but still, I mean, you have to give them grace. They have to see the grace of God in you. See, Jesus is operating under that principle in his life. So the first thing he tells them, okay, here's grace. Sit down in a nice soft spot. Get nice and comfortable. That's the grace of God. Sit down in the grass because now it's, you're, you're going to be ready now. You'll be comfortable. Now comes the truth. See, so the grace, grace and truth is moving here. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that, sat, uh, that were set down, and likewise the fishes, as many as they would. Now, now two things, I'll give this to you, I'm not going to expound on it, but five barley loaves, five in Scripture, when you see five in Scripture... Uh, it's dealing with grace, the number five. Two fishes, two, you can see this throughout the scriptures also in Revelation. You can see it uh, in, um, in Kings. Two is witness. Remember the two witnesses in Revelation? When you see two, it's talking about witness. So here's the grace and the witness. Both are going to be brought out from Jesus in this particular setting here, okay? So now in verse 11, and likewise, of the fishes, as many as they would. So there you have desire, as many as you would. You come to church, you come to class, and you can eat as much as you want, as much as you would. It depends on two things, of course. Your desire, very pivotal. Do you have a desire for God? Do you have a hunger for Him? Do you want more of Jesus? And then, of course, your capacity. But mainly your desire because I've seen the Lord feed and feed and feed a person to where they're so full. If the Lord would feed them that much in the natural, they wouldn't be able to get up for a while. But I've seen Him do that in the spiritual with a person. And, I mean, they walk out to church like this, but in spirit, it's like, the Lord can load you down if you have the desire. And then he'll do something with that later. Verse 4, thank you, thank you. Now remember, verse 4 here says, And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. So 
here, this setting here was at the Passover time. All this is going on. And now the Jews, they're feasting. What, what do they do at Passover? They eat what? The Passover lamb? Now here's Jesus, the true lamb of God, the Passover lamb. And he's out there feeding the people. They're actually partaking of the true Passover. Tremendous, tremendous, tremendous. Verse 12, when they were filled, he said unto the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. God has a way of moving and multiplying and having no waste. Nothing is lost. Sometimes I think that it would be nice to sit down to the table and have everybody eat everything so nothing's lost and nothing's waste. But with the Lord, there is no waste. Everything is given in the proper portion and gathered up. What verse am I on here? Okay, verse 13. Therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth that prophets should come into the world. They're seeing this miracle. Now, uh, we'll get into this very shortly, but what are they truly seeing? You know, are they seeing past what is going on in the natural, or are they centering in on what's happening there? When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force and make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. So Jesus didn't want any parts of that. He didn't come to be a king, he came to be a servant. He didn't come to rule a nation, he came to die for the world. Remember, he is doing what the Father is instructing him. Now, in man's eyes, they want to go and take him and put him into a position that the Father doesn't want him in. So Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm only going to do what the Father does, nothing more, nothing less. And so... That is not in the, in the plan and purpose of the Father, so I'm getting out of here and I'm going to the mountain alone. And when evening was now come, his disciples went down in, in, unto the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five Five and twenty or thirty furlongs. Somebody tell me what that is. I know what it is. Go ahead. Three to four miles. So here they are, they're, they're rowing, and they see Jesus walking on the sea. And drawing nigh unto the ship, they were afraid. Now we're not, we're not going to go into that because that's one, one whole class right there. But he said unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. And I looked that up. The distance that they had to go was approximately eight miles from, from the shore over, from, from the research I did. So here they were. They went three and a half to four miles, three to four miles, somewhere in that range. And as soon as Jesus comes, another miracle occurs. It's not like they had a tailwind all of a sudden. It's that... They had the one now who is the one who tests and proves and brings them out the other side. 
So now they're on the other shore where they intended to go. Now we're going to another day here. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there, there was none other boat there save the one wherein his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took ships and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. Now, isn't it good to seek Jesus? How many times in, in this church alone has somebody said or mentioned or has taught or we have heard about seeking the Lord? Many, 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 many times. So seeking the Lord is a good thing. But why we seek the Lord matters. Remember, they followed him because what? They saw the miracles. Is that what it says here? They saw, verse 2, they saw the miracles which he did on them that were deceived. So that's why they followed the multitude initially. Now, it says they're, they're pushing forward, verse 24, and they're seeking for Jesus. Now, seeking for Jesus or seeking the Lord can be a good thing or, depending upon our heart, it can be something detrimental. Do you believe that? Seeking Jesus can be detrimental if the heart is not right and doesn't want to get right. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, now I like this. <laughs> how, how the Bible just hides these little things in there. It's just so good. <laughs> See, what they're going to say to Jesus now is going to really reveal their hearts. Here, when they say this one word, Rabbi, what they're doing is here, here's their heart, okay? And they say, Rabbi. And by saying that, who knows what the word Rabbi means? Teacher. They're addressing him in a way that this title that they're saying here, is try, they're trying to cover or mask their heart or mask the motives that they have, which are going to be revealed by Jesus when he begins to talk to them. So it's not what a person says on the surface that really matters. Because, you know, you can say anything. I can say anything. But what matters is what's going on down here in the heart. That's the, that's the issue. God deals with the heart always. He's dealing with your heart. Every day that goes by, from the time you've accepted Christ till all of us die, God's going to deal with our heart in one way or another, whether we understand it, whether we see it, or whether we believe it, God's going to be dealing with the issues of our heart. So, so remember that. So here they come, and they're going, to, they're going to mask their heart. They're going to cover it. And then they say, Rabbi, when camest thou here? Or how did you get over here? Now, I like Jesus. <laughs> you know, Jesus, he's a real man. If you want to be a real man, you be like Jesus. <clears throat> Some of the things that the Lord does and says, I mean, you know, how he, he comes out and just bluntly says this to these people 
and he, he's there, and he's going to receive wrath, the wrath of men directed at him. But he's a man. He's a real man, and he just says it like it is. Now, Jesus is going to say something. Now, they, they say, Rabbi, how did you come here? That's the, you know, this is the question that they're asking, and that question's up here underneath their heart. And because Jesus here is going to show you a pattern of dealing with the heart with these Jews, that's the same pattern he uses today. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. So he doesn't even acknowledge the question that they uh, bring out because he knows the question is masking what's in their heart. So he gets right down to the issue and he says, You're not here following me here. Because you saw the miracles, and the miracles had an effect on you, and the miracles uh, changed you, and you want me to be you know, part of your life. See, that's not why you've come. But you did eat of the loaves and were filled. You are moving on this natural level, and you're interested in the loaves and the fishes, and that which is here, moving here. You're not interested in a, a higher level. A plane. You're not interested in the spiritual you know, aspect of things. You're not interested in having your spiritual man change. You're interested in the natural plane. You're interested in what's going on down here in this level and how that relates to you in your life. And that's what you're interested in. So, so Jesus gets right down to the heart issue. Now, we can come to the Lord and we can say these different things to the Lord and pray these different prayers to the Lord and if the Lord sees something that that is covering in the heart, he will some way, somehow, through some circumstance, will get to the bottom. He will get to the issue in your heart and my heart so that that thing hopefully will be dealt with today here on this earth so that when we someday stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ, that thing will not be there because he's a good and faithful God and he's dealt with that thing in the past and now that baggage is not there, that sin is not there and we can stand there and when we have that expression that he sees, we will be free of that particular thing that was hidden down underneath. So the Lord will do that and he does that not because he doesn't love us, he does it because he does love us. See, we have our thinking all backwards in Christianity. The Lord does something, we, we think, oh, jeez, here, here we go. You know, and we think it's, it's bad. We think it, things aren't going right. Meanwhile, it's good and things are going right because the Lord wants to get to the issue of the heart and get the thing settled and solved, and we think he's not a good God all of a sudden because we have to suffer a little bit of inconvenience or whatever that may be. We're funny. We're strange. We are. That's why... We need to know the Word of God. We need to be taught what the Bible says. A lot of this stuff out there today, I'll tell you, is far, far from the gospel of Jesus Christ. This type of teaching is why this church isn't full. This church, from when I've been in this church, I would have to say, I'm guessing, maybe four or 500 people have come in and out of this church, at least four or 500 people, maybe 1,000 people. Maybe more than that. Some have, have come and gone quickly. Others have came for a while and went. But primarily it's because the word that's preached. People don't want to hear that. It gets down 
to the issue of the heart. And see, that's where eternal life is, that we might know him. See, how are we going to know him, like it says in John, if the Lord doesn't reveal our hearts and show us what's in our hearts and deal with what's in our hearts? See, those things that are in our heart, the sin that is in our heart, that's hidden, that we know about or we don't know about, that will be a hindrance in our walk and relationship with him, and he knows that. So he's going to deal with those issues to get them out of the way. And so Christians, they'd rather go and listen to some, you know, something else. If you look at the Gospels and you read the Gospels and you see how the Lord dealt with people and even his own disciples and the things he said to them. See, why should that discourage us in the Gospel? Oh, I want to hear all the happy, clappy stuff. Well, I mean, that's fine once in a while. But what about the stuff that's going to be there that's going to change your life and change your heart for eternity? That's the important stuff. Okay, let's move. Where are we here? Um, Okay, verse 27. He says, Labor not for the meat that perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of God shall give unto you, for, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? No, <laughs> time to do all this. <laughs> I want to get through this chapter. What they're asking him when they say, what must, it's like they didn't even hear what he just said. He's talking about the Father. They want to know what they can do to work the works of God. What can we do so that we can do what you did and produce All this food from five barley loaves and two fishes. That's what they're asking Jesus here. How can we work the works of God? How can we do that? They're relating to all this on this lower level, this lower plane. Excuse me, I'm getting excited. (laughs) Okay, verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. So it's like they keep relating to this natural thing here. And Jesus keeps on trying to get them to relate to the Father and relate to this this other plane of living here. They said, therefore, unto him. Now, this is amazing that they would even say this. These are people who just saw a bunch of miracles. They saw this this feeding of, you know, 5,000 men and women and children, maybe, you know, 7, 8, 9,000 people, I don't know, with a handful of bread and two fishes. Some of these saw the healing of the man at the pool, and they say, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? That's like, you know, if the Lord comes over to you and you're sick and you're going to die and he heals you, you say, well, Lord, well, show me the work you're going to do. Why would they say something like that? Because they're moving down here on this natural plane, this carnal level. And their heart, the motives of their heart, keep them there. That's why Jesus keeps on coming back and and saying these different things to them, trying to break through the crust of their carnal carnal nature and showing them what's going on here, the Father, the Father, you know, and and all this, trying to to get to them. And then they say, Our fathers did eat manna in in the desert, and as it was written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then said Jesus unto them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, But my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. Once again, they're relating to this lower plane. Oh, Moses this, Moses that, uh, you know, the the manna. 
in the desert, etc. They're still moving down here in the law. They're still moving in this lower plane. And Jesus said, no, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. He's not the one that did this. He said, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. He's talking about right now. They're relating to something else. He's talking about right now. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And again, when they make that statement, they are relating to the loaves and the fishes again. Still, they're still coming at Jesus, coming at Jesus on this natural plane, coming at Jesus with their carnality. Oh, show us how to work the works of God. Show us how to produce all this food. Oh, here, Lord, give us this bread from heaven. Same thing. Still moving in their carnality. And there are Christians who will stay in their carnality for years and years and years, and they're no different than what we're reading here now. Remember, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, you are carnal. He's writing to those who were Christians. They're, they're the church there. You are carnal and you cannot receive spiritual things. But the, but the carnal man, the carnal Christian, same way. Coming to Jesus for stuff that's down here on this level. And the Lord wants to, to deal with them and, and show them things up here. Dealing with spiritual things. And that they can't receive that. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life to the world. And then they said, Evermore give us this bread, verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. So he's very, very pointed with that answer. You would think that they would get it at this point. Okay, forget about the manna. Forget about the five barley loaves. I am the bread of life. Not all this stuff moving down here in this plane. I am the the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. So they not, he's not talking about a natural thing here. You know, they saw him in the natural, but he, they were seeing, this is strange, but they were seeing miracles. They were seeing something that was occurring that was in spirit, this healing, the, the multiplication here of the food, they're seeing all that. But Jesus says, you do not believe me. You have not seen me and believe me. You haven't seen me. What do you mean I haven't seen you? You're right here in front of me, Jesus. You're, you're right here. What do you mean I, I can't see you? Jesus says, you can't see me because the carnal man will never see the true and living Christ. He can't because he's relating on a lower plane. He's going to see what's moving down here. He's not going to see the living Christ, the true Christ, the one who has the character of the Father that he wants to put in them. They can't see that because they are relating to this plane down here, something very, very uh, low, 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 the lowest plane that man was created on. You know that God has another plane for us to move into? You were created a natural being. So was I. And you came to Christ. Okay, and that, that brought you up a little higher. Now you have moved on with the Lord for some, some of you for some years here. But see, 
the increase of his government in your heart and in my heart, there shall be no end. So the Lord is going to continue to move you on and on and on and on to something greater, something better. Why would we want to stay down here where we can't experience these things? Well, that's where these people are. And remember, it doesn't say exactly who, who is there, but the multitudes, and as I said before, you had disciples, those that went out, and you had the close disciples, the twelve. So you have all them there listening, and then he's dealing with the Jews here, too, that were a part of the multitude that were not his followers. So you have all these, these different responses, and you have some Jews that are followers of Christ. He's dealing with the whole mixed bag. Verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Let me read that again. All that the Father giveth me. Now what's he talking about? All the Father gave him as far as what? Money? <laughs> people, people. Shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll get to this point in a little bit. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will. There he goes with that again. Remember we read that in chapter 5? Remember, get that. He, when Jesus repeats himself, it's for a reason. He doesn't come to do his own will. You and I, as Christians, are not to be doing our own will. If we are going to be Christ-like, and that, of course... That's a large area. <laughs> but one of the areas, a big area, is that you will not do your own will. So that means the responsibility is upon you to find out what the will of God is. And, of course, he's eager to show you what that is, whatever that may be, for today. Don't worry about 10 years from now, today. And as you are being made like Christ in, in that thing, not doing your own will, then the character of Christ is built in other areas. But the other areas won't, that won't happen if you are not doing the will of the Father or you're, you're doing your own will. Uh, so I came down from heaven, heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which, which has sent me, that all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again in the last day. <laughs> Did you hear that? When the Father gives to Jesus, how can I say this? There is a 100%, there is no loss whatsoever. There's 100% there. So Jesus is saying, okay, let's say there was 100 people here. I'll illustrate it. And Jesus says, now the ones here that the Father gives me, there's not going to be any loss. So that means that let's just say that you aren't one of those. So the Lord knows who to put into, who to give things to, who to place of his character in, who to deal with, who to, to sow into. And those are the ones that, that 100%, none of them are going to be lost. Now, what I see in that is that if you are a shepherd, and I'm not talking necessarily about a pastor, you know, God can use you to shepherd three or four people. It can be a, a pastor to three people or two people. You need to know what the Father is doing so that you are not giving your time and your strength and your energy to those who are not going to respond 
For example, if Judas was here, you can pour into him and pour into him and pour into him. Now, I know Jesus chose him, but you don't see the intimacy, any intimacy in the scriptures. I don't anyway. When it comes to Judas, you see with Peter, James, and John, and you see him dealing with Andrew and different things. But you never see this intimacy with Judas because Jesus knew who were his. And he wasn't, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say this. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm trying to say? You can spend time with a person and spend gobs and gobs of time. There'll be no response, and their, their life will never produce, and they will, will go their own way and go back into the world, and you've wasted who knows how much time that you could have gave to other person, another disciple. So Jesus, he knew, even though he ministered to different people, we know he gave, he gave, he gave. There is no loss with those he poured into. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. Here we come back to this everlasting life thing again. Now that's the that's third scripture dealing with that. 1 John, John 17, 3. 1 John 5, 13. And now here again. Now, I want to give you something here. The word seeth and the word believeth are in the Greek present participles. Now, that means I will take the meaning of the present participle and I'll read it into this verse. And this is the will of him that sent me. Now, who's he talking about? The Father. That everyone that is presently, continually seeing the Son. That doesn't, that's not talking about, oh, I accepted the Lord 20 years ago. No, it's talking about presently, continually. Presently, what's presently mean? It means now. Continually means that I'm doing it, I'm in the process of doing it. Like the boy is running. Running is a participle. Presently, continually seeing the sun, and not that you believed in the past, you are presently, continually believing on him now, that ye may have everlasting life, or that you may come into this understanding of what eternal life is, or that, as we said before, the, the eternal life is knowing him, John 17, 3. This is greater knowing, further on. And I will raise him up at the last day. Now, now the Jews are speaking here again. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, this, the son of Joseph, Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Once again, very clear in that verse, they're relating to the natural. That's their thing. That's their focus. That is the bent of their heart. And you will see people like that all the time. You will see Christians, and you will encounter Christians, and all you need to do is talk to them for a while, even talk about spiritual things, and you will see their bent is always this way, toward the natural, toward the natural, toward the natural. So this is not just something here in the Bible 2,000 years ago. This is something that occurs today because the heart of man is no different. The heart of man has been the same. Verse 43. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. Now, this... 
word among here. I looked this up in uh, Lo and Nidus. You probably don't know what that is, <laughs> a Greek study book. And in the form it is in this verse, from what I can understand, it means against. Against. And then I'll, and I'll read the verse. Murmur not against yourself. See, so murmuring does detriment to you. She said, don't, it's not that don't murmur among yourself. Well, they were murmuring among themselves. But the word, I believe, from what I studied this or looked at this just briefly before I came, can mean against. So don't, don't murmur against yourself. So you're not going to make any spiritual progress that way, or not much. No man can come to me except the Father which sent me draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. As it is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God, every man, that man therefore that hath heard and hath learned. Now the word learned there, I believe it's the same Greek word that we see in the New Testament translated disciple in English. Disciple means learner, you know. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned or hath been discipled of the Father. Now, I'll give you this to you. You can do with it what you will. Of the Father here is the same. I, I think it means, now I didn't prepare for this, so I'm just kind of going here. <laughs> means the same as we read in John. Go to John 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God. Now, if you look up that word from in some of the other lexicons, see, I don't use just strong. Strong is very limited. The majority of the definitions that I get are from Thayer's, uh, and there's three other books that, that I have that I use. And I can't tell you exactly where this is. This means from near, sent from near God. Now, I'll go back to where we were. This is the same thing here. If not the word, the same, it's, it's carrying the same truth. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned from near the Father cometh unto me. So there's this heart thing he's talking about. See, if the heart has learned or the heart is near the Father, they're going to come to me. See, because they know that what I'm doing, I'm not doing of myself. It's the Father that's doing it. Verse 46. Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread. So he keeps on, the Jews keep on coming to Jesus with this lower level thing. The multitudes, they're still coming with this bread down here, you know, the, bread, the loaves and the fishes. Show us how to produce that, Jesus. They're coming to Jesus on this plane. And Jesus keeps on pounding this thing, pounding this thing, and pushing this thing, and, and pushing at them that he is the bread. I am the bread. I'm the one that came down from heaven. I am the bread of life, verse 48. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. This is the bread which came down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. So he, he's still pushing this thing out. Verse 51. Now this shows the hardness of their heart, and it shows how far away their hearts are from him, or from the Father, because he has to just keep 
Just pushing this thing. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Here, as Jesus is pushing this, and they're still down here on this lower level. It's just like, <laughs> you can see the tremendous spiritual strength of Christ to keep pushing this thing. And they keep coming back with this stiff-necked, rebellious, hard heart. The Jews, therefore, strove among themselves. And this uh, word, actually, this is a, 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 what word is among, is a preposition. And it means toward, actually. It indicates direction. So the Jews, they're just taking a second break. Instead of pushing toward this thing here with the bread and all that toward Jesus, now they're striving toward themselves, saying, How can this man give his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Jesus is giving them the provision for their life. This is the bread of life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, can you receive the provision of the Father to you? Can you, Christian, receive the provision of the Father for you? Now, don't shake your head so quick, because you might not like it, even if you don't like it. If you can receive the provision, you're going to make some progress. Now the Lord is going to move you down along a little further, and now you're going to come into some things that you didn't before. So we need to receive the provision. That's what he's telling them. So we can see it here. And we say, why do they keep doing that? Sometimes we do the same thing. Maybe not on this scale, but we do the same thing. We just pull against the Lord, pull back and forth. You know, you ever do that? You know, the Lord wants you to do something. You pull. <laughs> oh, Lord, I, I can teach that because I understand it, because I've done it. It's what, what we are. The Lord knows. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. He keeps on saying that over and over. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwells in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me. So he goes back again to the Father. The Father, the Father, the Father. As the, the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. So if you are going to partake of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to live by him. It's no different. He's, he's bringing this spiritual truth out to them. They don't get it because they're down here on this level here. Christians don't get it too because sometimes they're down on this level here. If you are going to partake of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christian, you have to live by him. You have to live by what is proceeding out of his mouth to you today, whatever that may be. Oh, well, well what if I don't like it? So he that eateth me partakes of me. No, it's not talking about the, this communion emblems. It's talking about partaking of him, the person, the person of Christ. Even he shall live by me. Well, he's going to have to live by, by me if he partakes of me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. 
He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. See, what Jesus was doing, he was taking this thing here down along the bottom here, the natural thing with, with the loaves and fishes, and he was going to use that as a, um, a type or as an example. Like, for example, when he said, see the lilies of the field, he's using something in the natural to portray a spiritual truth. He has this feeding here of something natural to portray a spiritual truth to them. So he says, and this, this is what he's telling them. Now, this is the, the, the spiritual aspect of that that went right over their heads. This is the bear which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, that physical thing in the wilderness, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples. Now when I read verse 60, look at me a second. When I read verse 60, I want you to think about how the Lord is going to use his word in your life. How many here know that the Christian walk is not always, as they say, a bed of roses? How many know that the Christian walk is exciting? I'll tell you what, since I've been a Christian, I've gone through one exciting thing after the other. And I can't always say the exciting things were always that great, but it was still pretty exciting, some of the things we've gone through. There are some really good things that we will experience in God. I mean, good things, blessings. God blesses you. You're all here. You all have a home. You all have a car. You have a nice warm home on a night like this when it's six degrees out. You have clothing. I mean, he's good to you, and he's blessed you in many different ways. But how many know that there are tough times sometimes as Christians? How many know that whenever you come to church and you hear the word of God, that sometimes that word is very difficult to deal with because it touches something in you that needs dealt with. See, that, that's a good thing. Now let's read this verse. Many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? Now have you ever experienced that? I know you have. Where the Lord shows you something in his word, or you hear something, and you know that your heart needs to make the adjustment. The word of God is not going to adjust to you you have to adjust to the word of God. That's the way it works. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. See, so if my thoughts and my ways are not God's, then who needs to make the adjustment? Me or God? Some people think God has to make the adjustment. You need to do my way, Lord. This is what I want in my life. His ways, my ways, and his thoughts, my thoughts, are different than ours. But see, Ours can be the same as his. We can make the adjustment. So th this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus know in him, uh, knew in himself, verse 61, that his disciples murmured at it. It's funny that it doesn't say the multitude. It says the disciples. And this probably wasn't the close ring, the 12. This was probably the others, of some of the 70 that went out, or some of the, maybe there were some other followers in the city that came out were there with the 5,000 and decided to just move along here with Jesus. And so he says that when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, does this offend you? Are there things that Jesus does that offend you? Oh, Lord, don't tell me 
Don't tell me I have to come to Bible school. Don't I go to church enough? Why do I have to get on there and sit for two hours or four hours? I'll sit to one class and I'll go home. Well, what does the Lord want from you? I mean, I'm not saying you have to go to both classes. I'm saying, what does the Lord want? Well, does this offend you? Huh? Does this offend you? Oh, poor baby. The Lord doesn't do that. No, not with me. He never. He would never just coddle me. It's like I came. I came out running, <laughs> and the Lord says, "Lord, there, go." He didn't coddle me. Now, I can tell you some things when I was a Christian. I was only a Christian for two years. Some of the things I had to go through and some of the things I had to experience, it's the grace of God that kept me through them. Grace of God. But does this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he, he was before? If you would see where he was before, would that help you believe? No, it's not going to help you believe. You know why? Because... Their hearts were down on this lower level. It's not going to help them. They just saw all these other things. They saw the miracles, and they heard these words. And the words that Jesus spoke were a lot heavier than what I'm saying. I'm repeating what he said. But there was a weight and a sharpness to the words of Christ. You know, they came up. And if that doesn't change the thing that's going on in the heart, them seeing him ascend to where he was before isn't going to work either. That's not going to help. It's not going to change them. They're just going to see another thing that they're going to relate to in the carnal. That's all they're going to see. That's their bent. That's their thinking. That's, that's the way they're going. Verse 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. So there you go. See, it's the revelation of the spirit of God that quickens that makes alive, or that will bring a person to another manner or a plane of living, a place of living, however you want to say that. It's the Spirit of God that will do that. The, the flesh isn't going to profit you. The fleshly thinking relating to this down here is not going to help you. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. They are moving on a higher plane, and if those words find a place in you, then they will produce spirit, and they will produce life, and will take you from this lower level to a place of understanding, and you will know, as John says, that you have eternal life. See, there will be a knowing, but because they're stuck down here, they're not going to know. They're just in unbelief. They're not going anywhere. But there are some of you that believe not. So he's coming back to that again. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come to, unto me except it were given unto him of my father. Now the next verse says, From that the word time in your Bible should be italicized, correct? When it's italicized, it means it's a word that's added by the translators. And uh, sometimes when the translators add a word, it's, it's pretty good. Other times, what it does, it takes away from what's going on or it leads you in another thinking so that you miss what is really being said. So forget about the word in italics here. From that. When he says from that, what's he talking about? What he just said, which was? If you eat my flesh, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, there's no life in you. From that, from that saying, from that statement, because of that, many of his 
disciples went back and walked no more with him. It doesn't say that many of the multitudes walked away and walked no more with him. It says many of the disciples walked away and walked no more with him. And that happens in every age, and it's no different today. A person will walk along with the Lord, and sometimes for a long time, and something comes up before them, and they can't get past that thing for one reason or other, and they don't surrender to God and throw themselves upon the grace of God. Rather, they look to themselves or they relate to another plane in the natural or to the world system or some desire of their heart that pulls them or pushes them in another way, and they end up moving out, and they walk no more with Jesus. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not Christians, they don't go somewhere else or whatever. It means that they are no longer walking with Jesus in the same manner that they walked before. I've seen that happen many, many times, and it, it doesn't have anything to do with that this is the only church. I don't agree with that mentality at all. There's a lot of other churches out there, and there's a lot of good churches out there. But if you're going to come here, you're going to hear some things. You're going to fasten your seatbelt, so to speak, and let the word work. And don't let it shake you up so much that you run out of here. I, I tell, I've told in Bible school years. I'll tell you, when the Bible school first started in 1987, we had more tables in here, and there was probably 20, 20 25 people in this classroom every single night. And we had Bible school classes four hours on Sunday night, four hours on Monday night, and four hours on Tuesday night. And the Word of God came out tremendously rich. But remember, the richness of the Word is good, but you need to let that Word work in you. That's the thing. And I can't tell you how many people have come and gone. And last semester, when I taught the class, Song of Solomon, I had at most three students, sometimes one. But where are all the people? Where are the people? When I went down to Peru and I taught, I had a teaching seminar down there, and they invited all the pastors and all the leaders in the whole city <laughs> to the conference. I was teaching one day, and I was moving along for about, about an hour and 45 minutes, and I stopped and I was, you know, just for a few seconds, I stopped and was just pondering, okay, Lord, is this enough? Should I stop here? And I thought, well... Should I stop? And the interpreter said, he, um, you know, I talk out loud. I talk to myself at home, you know, sometimes. I talk to myself. It's okay. So the interpreter said that. He says, well, should he quit? And this guy almost jumped. This pastor almost jumped out of the chair, the bench, and he starts going, no, no, no. Like, I thought, man, this guy has a hunger for the word. So I'm going to go, and I, they had a set time, and I, I went to the very the last minute. I went over a little bit. But I thought, if only people could have a hunger like this man. If only there was a hunger here in the United States for the Word of God, like you see some other places. That the Lord could really move. He could really touch. He could do tremendous things like He does in some of these foreign countries. What happens is the American thinking is so much different. You know, when I went to Guatemala, these people went to church every day. Every day. Oh, well, it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. Just to buy it every day. And maybe a few days they didn't. Well, why was that? 
Well, you know why? Because these people were poor. They had nothing. They had nowhere to go. They had nothing to do. Let's go to church. Now, that's not so bad. You know, being in a society that is more simplistic can have advantages. In our country, there's so many different things pulling us. Isn't that true? So many different things. And it, it keeps you from doing some of the things that God wants you to do. Now, I'm not necessarily saying you have to be in church every day. I'm talking about a heart condition. That's what I'm talking about. For, I would say, 15, at least 15 years. I went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night for years, years. For me, that's where my, where my life was. That, that was what God wanted for me. And God sowed, and he sowed, and he sowed, and he sowed. And then there came a point where the Lord said, well, that's not your feeding anymore. You sit down with me, you open the word of God, and I'm going to feed you. Now, I'm not I'm nothing against church. You understand what I'm saying? So I don't need to come unless the Lord's leading me to come six, seven times a week. But the point is the heart, the heart. If the Lord is leading in that way, that's the way we need to go. And here, these disciples, Jesus was dealing with things, issues of the heart, getting down to the very bottom to show them what was there. And what was there came to the surface, and they could not deal with the words of Christ. And it says that from that time, or from that statement, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. See, they couldn't come to Jesus for the grace to receive what he said without understanding it. So we need to receive from him whatever, whether we understand it, whether we agree about it or on it or whatever, and just move along that line, and he'll take care of things. He really will. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, and I love this, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's all we need now. And that will be enough to take us along the path that he has laid forth for us personally. So in this chapter and in chapter 5, Jesus really deals with the issue of the heart. And I pray that the Lord would not stop dealing with the issues of our hearts because it is life for us. Father, we're thankful tonight for you. We're thankful, Lord, for your word. Even when your word comes sometimes, Lord, and is difficult to deal with and difficult to handle, we realize, Lord, that you do these things and you give what you give and provide what you provide so that you can touch and deal with the issues of our heart, not to push us away, but to draw us near and bring us further on in you. We thank you, Lord, that you are a good God and that you love you love us and you are concerned about us, so much so that you deal with each of us on an individual basis. With all the billions of people in the world today, you come to us individually, which is a tremendous thing, a wonderful thing that you don't forget about us. As insignificant as we really feel we are at times, you still care about us. And we thank you for that tonight. In Jesus' name.